2: The U.S. intelligence community has managed to penetrate and suck up a ton of communications. And what our sources were saying to us is well, there's nothing (laughs) basically in the tapes that we have of Russians saying, hey, great job with the pipeline, or wow, can you believe it, but with the pipeline, or oh crap, what's going to happen now that we blow up the pipeline?
0: I'm Benjamin Wittes, and this is the Lawfare Podcast, January 5th, 2023. It was a few months ago that something went boom under the sea and the Nord Stream 2 pipelines were severely damaged. Everyone assumed the perpetrator was the Russian Federation because, you know, the Russian Federation, war in Ukraine, really bad guys, and it was their pipeline and The Germans relied on that pipeline for natural gas and, you know, Vladimir Putin could deprive them of natural gas. But months have gone by and evidence that Russia was behind the Nord Stream attacks has not surfaced. This was the subject of a lengthy article in The Washington Post, the lead author of which was Shane Harris. Shane, of course, is well known to rational security and chatter listeners, a great friend of Lawfare. He joined me in the Virtual Jungle Studio to discuss the article, what do we know about who is behind the Nord Stream attacks? What do we know about whether it was really the Russians? Could it have been the Ukrainians? Could it have been us? It's a who-done-it. And it's the Lawfare Podcast, January 5th, Shane Harris on the Nord Stream 2 bombing. Okay, Shane, get us started with a bit of memory for those for whom the Ukraine war all kind of blurs together. Nord Stream 2 attack happened when, what was it, and why did people care? So the attack
2: on the Nord Stream network and it actually was it actually damaged both the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines. The Nord Stream 1 pipeline is older. This happened in late September, uh September 26th, and there was a series of explosions. Uh the pipeline runs underwater in the Baltic Sea, and a series of explosions uh we think over the course of about a 12 hour period ended up rupturing both of the pipelines. And by rupture, what I mean is, you know, it it like took a chunk out of them. There's been undersea footage of this that shows basically the pipeline is just kind of severed uh, in some of these key places. And people may remember the very dramatic footage of these like big bubbles coming up and it looked like the the ocean was kind of boiling from underneath uh, in the Baltic Sea in September 26th and into the 27th um, that were taken by Swedish Coast Guard and some other authorities. So if you saw that, you were seeing the gas kind of that was in the pipelines escaping and coming to the surface. So that was the explosion itself uh, that's now about, oh, going on three months and change. And we can talk a little bit about the reaction to it initially, but safe to say it seemed like most everyone initially thought Russia had blown up this pipeline uh, and many officials came out quickly and said that, and in some cases, directly lobbed accusations at Russia. But basically, the speculation was Russia had blown up these pipelines in an act of sabotage.
0: So before we get to the attribution question, let's talk about Nord Stream, because Nord Stream is a very important policy initiative that the US has always opposed. And it's always been a you know a, a a complicated source of friction within the western among the western powers particularly between the united states and germany so what are these two pipelines and and what did they represent Well, these
2: are natural gas pipelines, and they carry natural gas uh, from Russia to Germany to then serve customers in Europe. And you're right that these were very controversial precisely for the reason that they, in the eyes of critics, and I think objectively this is true, would really yoke Europe to Russia as a major source of natural gas for decades to come. When the Nord Stream 1 pipeline opened oh, more than 10 years ago, the expectation was that this this would serve European natural gas needs um, for possibly 50 years. The United States and a number of other countries opposed that because they did not want Europe to be tethered to Russia as a source of critical energy. Russia, of course, loved this because they had a a market to sell into. And and there was always a geopolitical as as well as a commercial Aspect to Nord Stream, Uh, and it was a diplomatic controversy, a political one as well. But when these pipelines opened, I think what they signified was, you know, to people in Europe, a source of energy, but to many of the governments in Europe, a strengthening of Russia as a state that could use energy as a form of leverage.
0: And Nord Stream Two, if memory serves, never quite opened, right? Because it was getting ready to open. When the Ukraine war happened, the Trump administration had been very opposed to it. And then Germany had never kind of allowed it to go online yet. And then when the war started it effectively put the kibosh on it. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that's right. In fact, listeners may remember there was this very dramatic moment, I mean, within days of the war beginning when Russia invaded, where Germany announced that it was not going to give a final authorization to the Nord Stream pipeline, effectively saying, while this thing has been built, we're, we're not going to authorize it to be to be turned on and finalized. And the reason that was so dramatic was because up until that point, you know, the Germans had been publicly doubting whether Russia was even going to invade. I mean, we've done a lot of reporting on this at the post that, you know, privately they were very skeptical of US intelligence. They didn't think Putin would go through with it. So when Germany came out and said we are going to basically turn off Nord Stream 2 it was a real signal that the germans had calculated that they were going to you know stand with the the americans and with the nato alliance uh, and was seen as a real surprise frankly that germany had taken such a dramatic step
0: so most countries do not blow up their own pipelines and yet when the nord stream attacks happened there was, as you describe, a pretty widespread sense that Russia was likely behind it. Uh, what was the geopolitical and intelligence argument that led people to that very instinctive conclusion?
2: The geopolitical argument was, I would say, probably it was there were a couple of major thrusts to it. One was that Russia had been attacking civilian infrastructure, including energy infrastructure in Ukraine. And so there was a precedent for the Russian military going after these targets that bring energy and and, and vital support and services to you know, large numbers of civilians. There was also a kind of theory of the case that it would make sense that Russia would attack the pipeline if what it was trying to do was shake the NATO alliance to say we are basically willing to attack infrastructure uh, ahead of a uh, of, of the winter in Europe and basically you know blackmail these countries into either conceding to Russia or withdrawing their support, financial and military support for Ukraine. In fact, the word blackmail was tossed about by a number. Of officials who essentially said that the Kremlin was going to try and strangle the flow of energy across Europe uh, as a way of pressuring countries uh, into withdrawing their support for Ukraine. And I think there was a sense that you know the Germans would react most, how shall I put it, that they might be the most swayed <laughs> by such a brazen act of sabotage, uh, and maybe some sense that maybe the Germans were never really even fully on board with the plan with NATO, and maybe this was a weak spot that the Russians could exploit the intelligence argument for this, there really wasn't much of one. Um, And this is what is very curious. There is really not any forensic evidence still, according to the many sources that we talked to in recent weeks, that conclusively attributes this attack to anyone. So you did not have, you know, um, spotting of a Russian submarine, for instance, in the vicinity of the pipelines you don't have, you know, explosive residue um, that's been recovered from the explosion from the sites. Although there is residue that somehow definitively points to this is a material that is used by the Russian military. You don't have signals intelligence intercepted communications.
0: That's actually the most surprising.
2: Yeah, that's that we found right. that surprising too. There's no chatter of the Russians talking about this that we could find.
0: Usually, we think of the forensic evidence of the site as the key to these things. But I remember, you know, in 9-11, the attribution was all about signals intelligence in the first instance, and because it comes in much faster. And I think it's pretty surprising that you would have a successful major covert operation like this. To destroy a pipeline and no internal chatter about it
2: yeah I, that struck many of our sources were surprised by that as well, and, and we should kind of underscore this by saying that you know the United States and its allies have done an exceptional job of intercepting Russian communications, both spoken and and written. It is one of the reasons why the United States was able to accurately forecast a Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, You know, I think it's not an overstatement to say that Russian operational security has been very weak and the U.S. intelligence community has managed to penetrate and suck up a ton of communications. And what our sources were saying to us is, well... There's nothing (laughs) basically in the tapes that we have of Russians saying, hey, great job with the pipeline, or wow, can you believe it, but with the pipeline, or oh, crap, what's going to happen now that we blow up the pipeline? All those reflections that you would expect to see and to hear, our sources are saying they don't have evidence of that.
0: So I, I don't usually say this to journalists, but talk a minute about your sources, because you... Uh, actually flaunt in the story, the diversity and number of them. I think you cite 23 diplomatic and intelligence sources. That's a, uh, as somebody who's kind of a student of the art of sourcing, that's a flex. Um, you're saying something there. Tell us about the, 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 the universe of people that you've been talking to.
2: Yeah, so you're right. It's and we did that to say, you know, these 23 diplomatic and intelligence officials in nine countries because we wanted our readers to understand that this is not sort of chatter and speculation coming out of some isolated corner or small pocket of the alliance. This is a this is a view that is held by a, a significant number of people across a range of countries. And we wanted to underscore that as a way of saying like, look, this is you know, it's kind of close to a consensus position at this point, as best we can tell. You know, we, we do identify on the record some people we talk to, including, you know, people at the foreign minister level. But we're talking here in this story generally about senior officials who have access either to intelligence that bears on the Nord Stream attack and the question of attribution, um, as well as people who have been briefed on it. Um, these are not people who are, you know, catching things kind of secondhand at the water cooler. I mean, these are folks who actually are in a position to have some real knowledge on the subject. And we were, you know, really careful about not quoting people who were or talking to people who were just kind of getting idle chit chat, but people who actually had been looking at the problem, uh and in some cases working directly on the question of um of attribution.
0: All right. So One thing your story is vague on, and I take it it's deliberately vague because the sources disagree, but correct me if I'm wrong about that, is whether there is no conclusive evidence that Russia was behind it, or whether whether people doubt that Russia was behind it. Those seem to me different. On the one hand, you can say, well, the geostrategic logic of Russia's involvement remains strong, but they've covered their tracks. Well, I don't see any evidence of it. Uh, the other is actually there's evidence that they weren't involved or that this was not a Russian operation. Is there consensus on this point as well? Or from your point of view, is the, is, is the only point of common ground that We can't say for sure that Russia did it.
2: I think it's more the latter because there were some officials we spoke with who said that they still think that Russia is most likely the culprit for a number of various reasons that go to motive and to capability. And and of course, even those people would say, but we don't have any conclusive evidence to to point to that. There were some officials that we talked to, whoever, who said that they doubted the Kremlin was responsible And we can talk about some of the reasons why, if you want But basically, they said, look, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense for the Russians to have done this when it effectively what it did was eliminated um, a considerable piece of leverage that they actually had. You know, it's notable that a month before the explosions, the Russians actually turned off Nord Stream 1. Uh, They claim because of mechanical issues, I think everyone basically recognized that it was in response to the G7 preparing to put in place energy price caps. So the Russians had only a month before the attack actually used Nord Stream 1 as a tool for geopolitical leverage. And then a month later, the pipeline is blown up. That struck a lot of people as not making a lot of sense. So, you know, but I don't want to say that there is also some kind of conclusive files sitting around about who people think the culprit really is um you know obviously people will speculate on who it could be in other countries that might have a motive to do it but there's no conclusive evidence pointing to russia or to any other country that we could determine
0: all right well let's uh surface the elephant in in the baltic sea which is ukraine um there is one other country that would obviously have motive to do it. And it's the Ukrainians. They're not known for their nautical prowess. But your story says basically this operation wasn't that difficult. It's not that deep. And there are a lot of countries that could have actually pulled it off. Ukraine has been pretty aggressive about fingering Russia in connection with it. Volodymyr Zelensky has talked about it explicitly. On the other hand, at some level, it makes more sense for the operation to have been Ukrainian than for it to have been Russian, in the sense that this was a mechanism by which Russia sells gas to Western Europe, not a mechanism by which Ukraine sells gas to Western Europe. And so you have a just as you have a bunch of people scratching their heads about the leverage that Russia would be giving up by blowing up its own pipeline. It's not much of a secret what the Ukrainian advantage would be in having done it. Is there any reason to particularly suspect Ukraine, or is there simply no evidence as to who done it?
2: I think it's more accurate to say there's no evidence who done it you know there are there are those who believe that that there is a strong case to make for why russia would not have done it you know i think that you know we could we could come up with any number of kind of hypotheses or arguments for why different countries including ukraine might have an interest in blowing up the pipeline at this point though from the people that we talk to there just isn't anything that points the finger directly at one country, which is another reason why this is such a puzzle. Like you would expect, you know, if the Russians had done it, you would expect you would have signals intercepts or something like that. You know, you would maybe speculate that if the Ukrainians had done it, there would be some kind of, you know, telltale signature that had been left behind. Uh, But we're just not seeing any evidence of that yet. You know, the, the, the theory, I suppose, of the case of Ukraine did it, we could, you know, flesh that out a little bit if you want would be, uh, you know, is it a way of kind of bolstering the alliance and holding them together? I mean, do they want people to think that Russia is willing to blackmail Europe by withholding energy? And therefore, does that strengthen the alliance? Um, Possibly. You know, it is worth pointing out again, that neither of these pipelines was delivering any natural gas. So, you know, I don't want to say blowing them up is without consequence. This did a tremendous amount of damage and those pipelines would have to be Repaired at significant cost.
0: And ecological damage. And ecological
2: damage potentially, yes. This could have been a record. This may end up being a record setting, you know, release of methane uh, into the
0: atmosphere. And methane, for those who are not climate uh, scientists, which I'm not either, uh, <laughs> methane is, you know, hundreds of times more potent as a greenhouse gas than. Uh, carbon dioxide.
2: Yeah, and I think this, this is another thing to, to emphasize, too, is that, you know, whoever did this, I mean, it, it's it's effectively, you could, I mean, I suppose you could call it an act of war, but it's an ecological nightmare. I mean, it's a really reckless thing to do to just blow up this pipeline, which I think is another reason why people initially suspected Russia, because Russia has been doing all kinds of reckless things throughout the war. So it seemed to fit uh, that MO, if you like. But as bad as the ecological consequences of it could be, it's not as though destroying these two pipelines, uh, or at least disrupting the flow of this gas, put... Europe in a tougher spot than it already was. Uh, and in fact, European countries were already stockpiling natural gas ahead of the winter, believing that they couldn't you know, easily depend on Russian sources as they had in the past. So again, I don't want to say it's without consequence, but there's an argument, I suppose, for you know, hitting a pipeline that is not delivering any gas as opposed to blowing up one that is, if, you, if what you're trying to do is minimize the disruptions to civilian life.
0: So there's one other reason to suspect Ukrainian involvement, which I will float just in the interest of completeness, which is that, you know, around, and I'm, I'm not sure of the dates here, but around the same time as the Nord Stream attacks are the killing of uh, Dugana uh, the daughter of Alexandra Dugin, the uh, the ultra nationalist uh, Russian ideologue, which was originally something of a mystery, and turns out likely to have been a Ukrainian operation aimed at her father. And so, part of me says, well, uh, this is a period of time in which the Ukrainians are flexing and you know, doing uh, other operations that are uh, kind of edgy, you know, maybe, maybe they take this risk as well. Is there any sentiment among the people that you've been talking to that there's a kind of, uh, you know, this is right in the period in which the Dugan uh, operation happens as well? Well, you're right at those events happen near each other.
2: Let me put it this way. I mean, we're, we're reporting in this story what these officials said about the attribution and the question of whether Russia was behind it. That is all we're reporting. I think it has been widely reported that Ukraine is likely involved in a number of different special operations, some covert in nature that are targeting Russia. I mean, the Dugina killing is one. There have been other unexplained, unattributed explosions and attacks inside Russia, including recently at a strategic air base uh, in Russia. So it's not as though it's a secret that Ukrainian special forces and special operations are active and are targeting Russia.
0: Right, although I think there's a difference between targeting Russian military infrastructure, you know, that is clearly lawful targets in an armed conflict, and targeting, if they did, the daughter of a civilian, which I suspect is not what happened, I suspect that they were targeting her father, but, uh, and that's different still from targeting civilian gas delivery infrastructure in the exclusive economic zone of a European country, not party to the war, i.e. Sweden or Denmark, depending on which part of the, uh, operation, which part of the, I mean, that would be an extremely reckless thing for, for, well, for either Russia or Ukraine to have done. And I, I actually find it hard to believe That the Ukrainians who have been so careful and intelligent about the way they have played their relations with the West would have been so stupid as to do such a thing.
2: I mean, it would be an incredibly reckless thing to do. I think you're right. And we should say this is this is another point where it just bears repeating what we said earlier, that, you know, there are officials who still believe that Russia is the most likely suspect because they have been in the business of doing these reckless things. I, I think that the fact that this explosion cannot be positively attributed to anyone is what has led to you know not only kind of like speculation about the question of who done it and after we ran this story i mean you know it was very entertaining to sort of read all the different theories on twitter in response to the reporting including you know well the united states must have blown it up because
0: i'm coming to that one okay we'll get there but yeah well let's go ahead and go there then if you want
2: but yeah it would be whoever did this did something rather extraordinary the political consequences of which if they were discovered i would think would be pretty massive
0: Yeah. So partly just because, you know, U.S. covert action is a thing. And if we don't talk about it, we'll be accused of not talking about the elephant in the room. So let's talk about it. Uh, U.S. definitely has the capability to do this. It is not normally the practice of the U.S. to conduct aggressive kinetic actions on the territory of allied states. That said, this is in the exclusive economic zone in the waters. It hurts Russia, but it can also be blamed on Russia. So it's uh, kind of beautiful that way. It helps Ukraine, and it puts Germany in the position of, you know, sort of forcing uh, it to break this relationship with in the kind of Ost politics relationships that Nord Stream always represented. So why is it crazy to think that this could have been a U.S. operation? I think the,
2: if I'm making the the case for, and to be clear, I'm not making the case one way or the other, but if we're playing the, you know. No,
0: we're just asking questions
2: <laughs> Just ask, people are saying, Ben. I think, okay, so here's the case for why it's crazy. One, the United States is blowing up a pipeline releasing huge amounts of gas into the atmosphere you know a pipeline that is you know operated by one of our close allies i mean covert action by design obviously is meant to obscure the involvement of the United States to provide a plausible deniability cover and to affect certain economic and political outcomes
0: no one's tagged us with it yet.
2: Well, right. nobody. And they, so they would check all the boxes in that sense. At the same time, I mean, you know the U.S. intelligence community very well as well. I just have a really hard time <laughs> believing that Joe Biden would authorize an operation to blow up two pipelines. As, as much as the two U.S. administrations have opposed their construction, it just seems like something that is – So extraordinary and so potentially escalatory that I can't see this particular administration, at least, doing it, considering that it has been so conservative, you know, small c conservative in the actions that it's taken so far. Now, that is not to say that u.s equipment or even training currently or in the past that has been provided to ukraine that ukraine couldn't then take that equipment and training up and go off and do something you know on its own to the pipelines possible um with or without u.s knowledge or support but the u.s actually going out blowing up the pipeline deliberately on its own just strikes me as you know color me skeptical uh, on it is what is what I'll say.
0: Yeah, here's another reason to be skeptical of US involvement. So, I'm going to make a couple assumptions about your sourcing here that I'm not going to ask you to confirm, but let's just say if you're talking to 23 intelligence or diplomatic sources from nine countries, it's exceedingly unlikely that one of those countries is not the United States. And I don't think US intelligence officials would be publicly ruminating about how they haven't found any evidence that this was a russian operation if the result of that rumination would be to focus more scrutiny on the united states when in fact it had been a us operation
2: that's that's that, those are all good points
0: <laughs> all right so in our who done it are there any other real suspects if we say like like presumably it wasn't the Germans, mm-hmm. the Danes and the Swedes, most unlikely. Is there any other country with significant interests? I mean, it doesn't seem like a UK kind of thing. Is there any other plausible suspect?
2: Well, there's that vicious Italian navy. No, I'm kidding. Uh,
0: you know, yeah, and, and, you know, Turkey <laughs> wants to prevent Finnish and and uh, Swedish NATO accession. I'm not sure how this does it.
2: You know, I think this gets us back. This is almost, it does kind of like feel like a game of Clue uh, at times. Look, I mean, the the, the 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 two countries with the most obvious motive for doing this are Russia and Ukraine. That is not to say that other countries, as we've been discussing here, might not have motives of their own you know, so do I think it's like a a limitless universe of suspects? No, not really. Um, You know, somebody did it. It's also pretty clear to the experts we talked to that it was a state actor. This isn't, you know, somebody who made a homemade bomb and, you know, went out on a fishing boat and just dropped it over a pipeline. In fact, we cite one German official on background as saying the explosives were affixed to the outside of the pipeline. So someone went down there whether with a diver or a submersible and stuck a bomb on the outside of these pipelines.
0: And I think you said it was 70 meters deep. That Yeah.
2: Roughly about 70 to 80. There's, there's some variation, but that's about, you know, kind of roughly the depth that you're talking about. So, you know, theoretically a diver could have gone down and done this or a submersible drone. And these were, you know, scenarios that were floated to us, no pun intended, uh, by people who've been studying it, saying like, look, it could have played out this way, but it's a fairly narrow universe and any kind of investigation like this, people are going to look for who had the motive, the capability and the opportunity. And that kind of key question of motive, um, really is what keeps coming up and what does keep, you know, leading some people back to Russia, but there are, As we've been saying, there are those who say, yes, but the Russians had no real interest in destroying this pipeline. I will also note, by the way, um, that after our story ran, the New York Times had a very interesting report of its own on the Nord Stream investigation in which they reported yeah, that
0: repairs yeah
2: that Russia has been quietly scoping out how much it would cost to repair the pipeline it would probably take about half a billion dollars the times reported why would a country that had just blown up a pipe why would a country be looking to repair a pipeline you know if it had blown it up uh, is is the is the question there? So again, not dispositive, but you can kind of put that in the column of who done it? Maybe that goes in the column of not Russia.
0: all right. Is there a mode by which we figure this out, or is this going to go into the category of dunno? A- as people contemplate this and and tell you that they don't have evidence, are they waiting on some evidence or are they just stumped when it comes to the forensic evidence which is to say
2: you know explosive residue and debris and things that are found like at the scene i don't think that's going to be conclusive N- i mean nobody that we spoke to said you know well we're running more tests or well there's just this one more thing that we're trying to scrape off the pipeline or we're looking for on the ocean floor that will tell us i mean i think that they've basically exhausted the investigation when it comes to the physical evidence that's there. And as we said at the top of the podcast, you know, there's just not any SIGINT that they're seeing in this. Now, could there be a very small universe of people in whatever country that know about this? And then eventually some of them do talk and that gets intercepted. Yes. Could someone slip up and reveal it in some other way? Sure. I think that if anything, if, if there, if there's ultimately an attribution of this, I think it's going to come through an intelligence channel, through people who know what the truth is, either being discovered, talking about it, disclosing it privately for their own interests. Um, It's somehow, you know, come leaking out in some way. Having, you know, covered this beat for a long, long time, what what strikes me is that something this big is very hard to keep a secret for very long, unless very few people know about it. This big, of course, being the geopolitical ramifications of blowing up these pipelines. But the event itself, as we've been saying, you could probably accomplish with a fairly small number of people. And if it's the case that you know the United States or the British or the Ukrainians or the Russians or whoever did this with a small group of people, I think that makes it more likely that it could stay secret um, for some time. I think you also have to ask the question of whether there's a motive into who did it. I mean, look, if it's, if it's an allied government that did it, the allies are going to want to keep that pretty quiet.
0: I got to say, though, there aren't that many billion dollar explosions that go unattributed. You know, one thing the FBI and their sister organizations are really good at is when something goes boom, tracing every bit of residue, explosive, uh, shrapnel back to its original purchase location and figuring out who put the device together. Is it that this one's at the bottom of the ocean that makes that difficult, or is there some other quality that's inhibiting this from a forensic point of view?
2: That's a really good question. Um, one thing I would point out, and you're right about you know the FBI's ability to you know kind of conduct extraordinary and you know detailed forensic investigation to my knowledge I mean the FBI is not a party to this investigation this is not an american asset that was blown up the american government the us government has been a little bit in a passive position on this in you know receiving information from investigators in germany denmark i think sweden has looked at this as well so i can't speak to the quality of their investigative agencies. But what I can say is when we spoke to people about what's been recovered from the scene, it, it was both, I think, you know fairly voluminous in the sense of you know they have debris, they have explosive residue, they've gone down there with cameras, they've got a lot of forensic data. It's just not conclusive. It shows that somebody put a bomb there, but it doesn't tell you exactly who. I didn't get the sense that there was some kind of forensic hurdle that they just couldn't get over in the sense of like, well, if we really analyze the explosive residue, like, could we trace it back to a certain batch of explosives? And could we trace that batch to a certain source and to a certain route and eventually tie it back to the country? Uh, you know, that, that may be going on. Uh, I, I, I didn't get that, that sense. It felt more like the investigators were stumped. And what's also really interesting, and this points to a kind of a, a broader point that a number of people really made them nervous, is it, it doesn't appear that there's any kind of you know sonar or other kind of marine based surveillance that gets you to the question of okay what ship or what submarine was in the area when this happened. In fact, there's actually been some reporting, notably by by Wired, um, that public source information shows that there were ships in the area at the time of the explosion that turned off their navigational transponders, which essentially made them impossible to track. It's apparently quite easy to do that. Um, so I, I, I point that out just to say that You know, we might assume that like, well, this is a hugely heavily trafficked area. There must be all kinds of underwater surveillance and other forms of surveillance. Well, I I guess not. Uh, and, And it appears that it's actually not all that hard for a ship or a submersible to get in and blow up a cable or blow up a pipeline. And a number of officials we talked to said this is a real cause for concern because this attack demonstrates just how terribly vulnerable, all kinds of undersea infrastructure actually is to sabotage. Uh, And apparently not only just vulnerable to sabotage, but sabotage with impunity if it's easy to get in and get out uh, without anybody knowing who did it.
0: On that cheerful note, Shane Harris, we will be following your continued efforts to get to the bottom of this. Keep us posted as you go.
2: Okay, will do. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me.
0: The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. Our audio engineer this episode is Noam Osband of Goat Rodeo. Look, folks... I know that some of you are holding back on becoming material supporters of lawfare because you hear the word material support and you think of the criminal statute that prohibits material support for terrorism and you think, no, no, I'm going to get charged with material support if I go to patreon.com slash lawfare and become a material supporter of lawfare. But no, the material support statute does not cover national security websites it covers terrorist groups we have been designated a national security website since 2010 it is legal to be a material supporter of lawfare and that's why you're going to do it right now the lawfare podcast is edited by jen patya howell our music is performed by sophia yan and as always thanks for listening